You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're going to end of this series called Jesus Stories today. Our next series is going to be called Faithful Instructions. And, and we've looked at a lot of passages in this series, but next uh, sermon series, we are looking at two verses over four weeks. And it's going to be a fun thing to unpack about some faithful instructions that Paul gives uh, us to really counter the triple threat that is against our lives. But today we're going to be talking about Jesus stories. And again, there were certain times in the Bible that Jesus said, once upon a time, and he made up a story But his point of making up the story is not so that you and I would understand the point, but that we would understand the message behind the point. And what's important about that is Jesus would tell stories so that we could figure out what God values more than what we value, what God's instructions are for your life, and to understand how your story fits within the big story of God. And that's important for you to understand because you don't know how to make sense of your trials, your setbacks, your disappointments unless you understand that God is completely at work in your story and he wants to walk with you and invite your story into his big picture story because he's declared that he has prepared good works in advance for you and I to do, which he prepared before we were even born. He's done that in advance. And so our story has to fit into that. But it oftentimes is not the way that we would write it. But Jesus would tell stories so people, even in the first century, would understand what God values and and what his instructions for people were. And Jesus has been antagonized. He's been antagonized by the chief priests, by the teachers of the law, by the elders, the religious establishment that basically wants to take the people who have been following Jesus and bring them back to themselves. They've had it good. The people have always followed them. They've sat in judgment on the people. They have actually come up with about 3,000 laws in a book called the Mishnah that were additional burdens put on the people religiously. So the people are loaded down with religious activity. And the churches become a little bit corrupt. That people would travel from all over the world to come see the temple, the temple of the living God. And there were different courts in the temple. If you were a Jewish person, you got to go in some of the inner courts. But if you were just a foreigner, you got to come see the temple and you could pray to the living God. But you did that in the outer courts. And Jesus would oftentimes teach in these outer courts. And so he's teaching there, but he's being tested As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we saw he was being tested by an attorney or he's being asked a question by this guy or that guy or he's given demands like Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And as Jesus hears these different things, he sees the sickness behind the test. He sees the sickness behind the question and he wants to move toward and address those issues. And it's no different. Right now, he has been questioned by the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, by what authority are you doing these things? You say, what things? Well, if you don't understand the context of the scripture, we got to unpack that so we understand what are the things they're questioning him about. Well, Jesus has been compassionately loving people. He's been healing people by the power of God, because he is God. He has been ministering to people and teaching them with authority. But not only that, But he has just recently, with his disciples, gone into the outer temple courts, about 35 acres of the temple mount. And they have gone through and they begin to throw over the tables of the money changers and the religious people who have gone in there and looked for economic opportunity to go ahead and cheat people and make a dollar on all these foreigners who are coming to the area to see the temple. And they were cheating people. What they were doing was this. 
They would say, oh, your animal for the animal sacrifice isn't good enough. You have to buy one of ours. And then they would charge them exorbitant prices to just do religious, the religious thing. They would say, your dove is not the kind of dove that we sacrifice here. You need to buy ours, and we're going to charge four times the price. Oh, sorry, we don't accept foreign currency here. You're going to have to go to our money changers, and they're going to ch exchange your money, but at exorbitant fees. And so what would happen is this area that was supposed to be a place where the people would come and they would pray to the living God, even if they're foreigners, they would come and pray, has all of a sudden, all 35 acres of it, been taken over by Jewish capitalists who are looking to make a dollar. Looking to make a dollar on all the foreigners who come to town. And this place that Jesus has said, God said, my house should be a house of prayer, but it's become a den of robbers. He's gone there with his disciples. They start throwing over the money changers table. They basically block off the gates to this area. They have shut down the economy in that area for many hours in one afternoon. And now Jesus is like, we've made our point. This should be a place of prayer. And now the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, they're ticked off. And they're saying, by what authority would you dare come and throw over our economy? What authority are you doing all these things about? And they're asking and questioning him. Well, Jesus is brilliant. And so Jesus basically says, well, I'll answer your question if you can answer mine. And I don't know about you, but if you're a parent, this is a very good tactic. Your kids come to you and they're like, well, I got a question. Why can't I do this? Well, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. Whoa, you just shifted the power in the equation in that moment. Well, Jesus does that with him. He says, listen, John the Baptist, John who was the one who began to preach people and prepare their hearts to repent, he paved the way for Jesus the Messiah to have the teaching ministry of the kingdom of God on earth. He's saying John's authority, he goes, was that authority from God or was it from himself? And so the elders and the teachers of the law and the chief priests, they gather together, they kind of huddle up. They're like, well, if we say it was from God, the people will probably stone us and say, why didn't you follow him? But if we say it was from him, they really liked him and the, all the popularity is with him and Jesus, and they'll probably stone us as well. So we better just say, we don't know. So they come back to Jesus and they're like, well, we thought about it, but we don't know. And Jesus said, neither then will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Isn't that amazing? I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things, which he's acting under the authority of God. He goes, however, I will tell you a story. And you can just imagine a little drum roll that happens. I'm going to tell you a story. He starts, he's going to make up this story. And you know in that moment, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law know that Jesus is going to tell a story about them. He knows that it's going to be a pointed story about them. They came to test him, and he's turning the tables, literally and figuratively, in their lives. And so, if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 20. We're going to look with verse 9 and following. It says, He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, right? He's sending a servant, please go bring the portion of the fruit of the produce of the, uh, you know, the crop that is mine. It's my field. It's my, I've rented these tenants. He sends them there. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 11, he sent another servant, but that one they also beat and they treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent a th still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. So Jesus starts telling this story. 
there's a field, all these guys get sent there by the owner, and they mistreat every single one of them that comes to, to get what is rightfully the owner of the fields. Now, here's why you need today's sermon. You consider your religious beliefs as yours. You own them. You think that they're yours. But the truth is God has the authority through Jesus to speak into every religious practice and activity in your life and mine. He has the authority to speak into it. He has the authority to challenge where you are, to challenge what you're doing, to challenge your beliefs, to challenge your opinions. And you need this sermon because you need to remember that the kingdom of God does not revolve around you, but that you and I are blessed to be part of the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Write this down. The tenants are the Jewish religious leaders. The servants are the prophets God has sent over the centuries to turn his people back to himself. So we have to understand who the characters are. We've got the tenants. These are Jewish religious leaders or to take care of the people, take care of the land, to shepherd them, to care for them. But the servants are the prophets that God kept sending over the centuries to the nation of Israel to cause Israel to turn back toward him. And you've got to realize as Jesus is telling this story, he's being very pointed at these chief priests, at these Pharisees, at these elders, at these teachers of the law. You know why? Because their great-great-grandparents are all the people who persecuted the prophets. He's actually going after their heritage, their family, and saying, your family are the ones who kept beating up these people, chucking them out, and not listening to the authority of God. And even now, you're asking me by what authority I'm doing these things. And Jesus is saying, again, you're acting in a way just like your forefathers. Luke 20, verse 13, there's a problem. And now in the story, the owner of the vineyard has to think about how to solve it. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Jesus is telling this story. And you might think that the climax of the story is when there's the death of the son. The son represents Jesus Christ and what the teachers of the law, the chief priests, and the elders would do to Jesus not too long from his teaching. You might think that's the climax, but the climax of the story is actually the decision of the father to send his son. See, this is a story, and you think there's some squatters. These guys are squatting on the field. They are basically like we, you know, I remember a decade ago, there were people who would get into houses that the banks own because people foreclose on their homes, banks foreclose on people on their homes, and these homes were empty here in Elk Grove, and there would be people who would break into the house and begin to live in it, and it got so bad, and then the rules were kind of protected, not the owners, but the squatters, and it got so bad that the banks were actually writing a check and paying people off to leave the house they didn't own. Isn't that crazy? It's kind of what these guys are doing in this thing. They're saying, listen, if we just, if we just keep beating up and killing off the people who come, maybe the house will eventually be ours. We'll have the inheritance. But the owner says, what should I do? I mean, wouldn't you think that there would be a different alternative? Wouldn't you think the owner would send the police? Wouldn't you think the owner would send the army? Wouldn't you think the owner would send, you know, legions of angels to come rescue what is rightfully his? 
I want to ask a question. Is justifiable violence for mistreating the servants the only possible response? No. The owner actually sends his son and the listeners to Jesus' story, they're shocked. Because they're thinking, of course, he'll just send the army. Of course, he'll just send the police. He'll send the, the, those to you know, punish these ones who've done wrong. But the compassion and the heart of God to say, I will give one more chance. In fact, I will send the most precious part of myself, Jesus, the son, to earth. I will send him. And the listeners are in this moment shocked. Because it's the opposite of what they thought would in fact happen. What did the owner say? Perhaps. Perhaps they will respect my son. And what I want you to understand is this, that respect is best translated feel shame. Because this is the very son of the owner. So this idea of perhaps that they will feel shame, it's a better rendering than I believe what the NIV does. That it, it's this idea that because it's, it's the son, they will feel ashamed of how they've treated the prophets. They'll feel ashamed of how they treated the servants. And they'll say, well, maybe now this is the son. He carries the authority of the father. So I will feel ashamed and I will turn because the compassion of the father, instead of punishing us, is to send his one and his only son. Perhaps they will feel shame. Well, this is the son of the father. Do you remember what the father said to Jesus when Jesus was baptized? From heaven, Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, and from heaven, God speaks, and his voice says, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descends on Jesus, lands on him like a dove. And so right there, you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, truly the Holy Trinity, right at Jesus' baptism. And baptism doesn't save, because otherwise Jesus wouldn't need to be baptized. He didn't need to be saved. He came to seek and save the lost. But Jesus is modeling for us that there will, as we go under the water, there's a death symbolized and a resurrection symbolized. And that's why we're baptized today, because there's been a death. There's been a resurrection that covers up our sin, and it's only through the Son, Jesus Christ, of the Father. But who would do such a crazy thing? Who would have compassion on people in such a crazy way? Well, God would, but it's not just God. We've got a pretty good modern-day example. In the early 1980s, King Hussein of Jordan had his military leaders come to him and say, listen, we have found out that about 75 of our military leaders are about two miles away in a building and they're plotting to assassinate you and overthrow the government. And we just want to ask permission, can we go kill them? Can we go send the special forces and break into that building and wipe them all out and get rid of all the opposition? Can we just get rid of the opposition? And King Hussein thought for a moment and he said, no. Give me a small helicopter with just one pilot. And so he got in a small helicopter with one pilot. He flew to that building where they were. They landed on the roof. And as he's leaving the helicopter, he tells the pilot, listen, if you hear gunfire, just leave without me. Leave without me. He goes inside the building. He goes down two flights of stairs. He walks into the basement where all these guys are planning his overthrow. And he walks in, surprises them, and he says this, quote, Gentlemen, it has come to my attention that you're meeting here tonight to finalize your plans to take over the government and take over the country and install a military dictator. If you do this, 
The army will break into two parts and break the country apart. It will be plunged into a civil war and tens of thousands of innocent people will die. There is no need for this. Here I am. Kill me and proceed. That way, only one man need die. And they were shocked. And they felt ashamed. And literally after a brief pause, all those men came forward, grabbed the hand of the king, kissed his ring on their knees, symbolizing their allegiance to him and his authority for the rest of their lives. Is there any alternative except for violence for violence? God says, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to surprise the world. And by his authority, he's going to willingly give up his life. Perhaps they will feel shame in his presence. Perhaps they will respect him. Well, Jesus was sent to earth with no military escort. He was born in humble circumstances in a manger to a very poor family. But immediately, almost immediately after his birth, the edict went out to kill the baby boys two and under in the region to try to kill off the Messiah. Why? Because some king thought his authority was being threatened by a future Messiah. And so he attacked, and they had to flee to Egypt, and many families lost their little baby boys because of the hatred of one to try to kill off the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Now, years later, Jesus is in the temple, and the religious leaders are trying to kill him because he's overthrown them. He's overthrown their way of living. He's overthrown the abuse of the authority that they've had. And they want to try to keep the temple. This is our temple. You have no right to run in here and throw the tables over. This is our way of life. This is actually how we're pretty wealthy as leaders. It's, and he goes through all these things and they are re rejecting Jesus' authority, trying to keep control of the temple and their lifestyle and the way they've always done things and their heritage and they're willing to kill Jesus to keep it. But Jesus, by casting the religious corruption out of the temple, has just exercised the authority of God. In fact, he's symbolized that the temple has come to an end. He symbolized the demise of the temple, that the temple will be overthrown like these tables are overthrown, that there is a new way of doing things, that Jesus, through his death, will fulfill the law with all of its rules and all of its regula regulations, and now, through him alone, people are saved. And he's overthrowing it. Not only that, in AD 70, the Romans came through, and they wiped out the temple. The Jewish people lost the temple. They lost their land. The Jewish people lost their right to exercise the religion the way that they would do it. And they were scattered across the world so that every country they went to in which they were now immigrants. They had no land. They had no home. There was no place for Jewish people in the world because Israel had been taken away from them. What was theirs, the inheritance, was now given away until 1948. So figure that, A.D. 70 until 1948. They had no land. What they tried to protect and hang on to and keep and thought was theirs at the expense of killing the Son of God was taken away from them. And even today, the 35 acres of the Temple Mount in Israel, even today, is controlled by the Muslims, not by the Israelis. It is still, in a sense, been taken away from them what they tried to keep and what they hoped by killing Jesus they would keep.
Write this down. If the renters will accept the authority of the son, they will be saved even though they've acted wickedly. But they don't, and they kill him. This is the son. Jesus separates himself from the long succession of prophets that have come to Israel. He's saying, I'm not just a prophet like some people thought he was just a prophet. He's saying, I'm the prophet. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I'm a priest. I'm the high priest. The only one who can make atonement for the sins of the world. It's me. And he's saying, I'm separating myself from those that you abuse. I'm not a messenger. I'm actually the son. I am the son come to earth. And listen, these religious leaders, they're not going to kill him in the temple. They don't want to defile the temple. They don't want to have that blood on their hands there. So what do they do? They take Jesus out of the city, outside the city walls, and they kill him. They throw him, in a sense, out of the vineyard, and they kill the son. Just as Jesus forecasts in his story. The problem is, you might be sitting here going, man, those are horrible people. I can't believe they did that to Jesus. The truth is, a lot of people are still trying to kill Jesus today. Sometimes you and I are trying to kill the authority of Jesus in our lives. You may be trying to kill God's authority in your life because it might impinge on your lifestyle. It might encroach on what you want to do. And so sometimes you and I kill off the authority of God and culture still kills the Son of God so that they can reject his definition of marriage or gender or sanctity of life or morals or values and obligations. Why? Because people think they can have all that life has to offer. I can have the inheritance. I can have it all. I just don't need God with it. They're going to find out without God there's no inheritance. You can't have it all. Sometimes we kill God's peace. We need peace in our life, but so often we're going to embrace anxiety and we're going to embrace worry and we're going to embrace depression. And sometimes we reject God's peace. And God's saying, anxiety is real, depression is real, worry is real, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have peace available to you. When we kill off God's morals, what do we do? We inherit not better morals, we inherit corruption. And then we applaud sin. We end up championing sin in the name of religious behavior. And when we kill God's salvation, we agree to deserve hell as our inheritance. So when people reject salvation through Jesus Christ, they're saying, I'm willing to receive hell as my inheritance because I thought I could get inheritance by killing the son, and you can't. It's through the son that we have the inheritance from the father and when we kill God as our provider, we end up striving and wear ourselves out for earthly gain that we cannot even keep anyway. And when we kill God's worship, we trade the immortal for the mortal and we end up worshiping dead and things that cannot satisfy. See, it's not just people then who are trying to kill off God and his authority. It's people now. It's people like you or people like me. question is, when we are killing the Son of God, the question is usually, did God really say? Right? It's what Satan convinced Adam and Eve to consider. Did God really say, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And what happens is we say, I want to know, what, I want to define what's good. I want to define what's evil. So did God really say that was evil because I think it's actually kind of good, and I'd like to put my authority on it to say that is good, which God has called evil. 
And so what do we do? We're just buying in to the very question. And when we've decided, when we've decided to go against God, our response is usually this. Don't tell me what I can or can't do. Like, you don't have authority to speak into my life. See, that's the very thinking of the renters who assume they can have the kingdom if they demand it loud enough and long enough that they can have the kingdom. They can't. Write this down. Renters who think they are owners wrongly assume they'll inherit the kingdom of God. See, there are many people who reject Jesus and they think that their religious works are somehow going to save them, but they're not. Without the Son, you don't have the inheritance. Jesus is telling us that. He who came from heaven to earth is telling us how to get back to heaven. He's a reliable guide, and he's telling us that. Not only that, there's other people who are like, listen, I don't care. Like, I don't care about religion. I don't want any religion. I don't want any God in my life. But upon death, they still want to think like, if there's an afterlife, I still think I should make it in. And they won't, because you don't have the inheritance without the son. But to me, what is one of the most sad things are those who maybe grew up and heard about the gift of the son, who know and heard about the goodness of the owner, who have experienced it firsthand, and yet they've walked away from God and assume somehow later in life that they will somehow inherit the inheritance. But they won't. And it happens slowly, right? You know people like that. I know people like that. They pick and choose what they want to obey. They slowly kill off Jesus by making his kingdom unimportant, by making church unimportant. Maybe they stop going to church. They get really distracted by all the things that life has to offer. Maybe slowly they start becoming poor toward God and rich only toward themselves. They begin living as they please, living for self, and they're trying to make this life their inheritance, and it won't satisfy. And some of us have tried it, and God has called you and I back to himself. And there are many who have heard the goodness of the owner of the vineyard, and he's drawing them back to himself. Pray for those that you know who have wandered from God. Well, what does God do? In Luke 20, as he's speaking to these religious leaders, verse 15, the middle of it, says, What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come, and he will kill the tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when the people heard this, they said, God forbid! And Jesus looked directly at them and asked, What then is the meaning of this which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. So these people hear, they hear the story, and immediately... It says the inheritance is going to get taken away from them and given to someone else. And the Jewish people all stand up and say, God forbid. We're the people of God. We're the chosen people. How dare, like, God, please forbid that you would ever take away this inheritance from us and give it to others. And Jesus is sing signaling that through him, his death, his resurrection, that all nations will come to him, that it will not be exclusive. The gospel is not exclusive to Israel, but to all people of all nations, of all tribes, forever are able to have the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And the things that the religious leaders are trying to protect, the temple, the way of life, the religiosity, the religiosity, 
the corruption, all of that will be taken away. They will lose their heritage. And for almost 2,000 years, they did. And people say, God forbid. But you know what? People still say, God forbid, today, don't they? How could a loving God send good people to hell? People are basically saying, God forbid that God would ever send people to hell. But the truth is, the Father is the compassionate Father who sent the Son so that all people who have sinned and fallen short of God, that's all of us, there are none righteous, not even one righteous person, they've all fallen short of God, that they can come to faith in Christ, have their sins forgiven, and have the inheritance. But we still live in a world where people say, God forbid, how dare you take away my lifestyle? How dare you take away my opinions? And they don't want the authority of God to speak into their life. Well, Jesus is the cornerstone upon which the kingdom of God is built, and those who reject him will never inherit heaven, but be crushed and broken. See, the Jewish people had a saying, and it was this, that if a, if a clay jar got dropped and fell on the stone, it would break. And if a big stone fell over on the clay jar, it would be crushed. That was kind of their statement. And Jesus is referring to Old Testament religious, I mean, Old Testament scripture. And he's basically saying, not only is, is there a stone, but I'm the stone. I'm the chief cornerstone. He's talking about the temple that's right there. He's saying, this temple right here, it has this massive, it's like a 40 foot by 20 foot wide by about 15 feet high stone. I am the chief cornerstone. You put that stone in, then you build the rest of the building around it. And he's saying, I'm the chief cornerstone. And if a person drops themselves on the chief cornerstone, they'll be broken. But if they reject the chief cornerstone and it falls on them by that same authority, they will be broken. So if a person says, I'm going to reject the authority of God and not let him speak in my life, guess what? You'll be broken. And by that same authority, you'll be crushed. And Jesus is saying, I am the chief cornerstone. I am the cornerstone of the temple. Those who reject Jesus' authority will be judged by his authority to their demise. Write this down. You can't make Christianity serve you. Trying to keep its fruits for your own benefit. It's on loan to you to manage and to benefit the king. And it's meant to be shared with others. It's meant to be shared with others. One of the reasons that I love Sun Grove Church is because we're committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and we love seeing people get saved almost week after week after week. And I love that because the church is not a building, the church is people. We love seeing other people get saved because we ourselves know what it's like to finally say yes to the authority of Jesus and to receive his forgiveness of sins and to walk into new relationship with him. We know what it's like to say yes to the authority and teaching of Christ. We see the goodness of the Father in it. And in the same way, we want to see other people saved. But I gotta let you know, there are people who need to be here. There are people you need to reach out to as your neighbors. You need to become a neighbor to them. There are people in your workplace who need to hear the good news of Jesus. There's somebody you need to invite who deserves another invite here or during the holiday season to come here so that they can at least hear and see the authority and the compassion of the Father to send the Son, and they might say yes to Jesus. It's meant to be shared. 
We can't just have Christianity and God and morals for our own benefit and keep quiet about it. So who among you has someone in mind that you need to invite to be here or that you need to reach out with and have a conversation or you need to go have coffee with them? Because maybe just a conversation based on the relationship you have with that person might make all the difference in the world that's meant to be shared. So my question is, what will you do with the authority of the Son? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, if today you realize you've never accepted Jesus, you've never said yes to the authority of Jesus Christ, and receive forgiveness of your sin, the compassion of the Father, and an inheritance in heaven that will never perish, never spoil, never fade, it is kept there for you. You can't get the inheritance of God through any other way but through Jesus. And if that's you today, just pray this prayer right where you're seated. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Would you wash me as white as snow? Would you create a new creation on the inside of me? And would you teach me to have relationship now with you? I pray this because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you pray that prayer anywhere around the room, with heads bowed, eyes closed, will you just raise your hand? that today was the day you made that decision. Awesome, you three in the back, right here in the front, anywhere else, and just around the room, that today was the day. You might be in the loft, I see a hand up there in the loft, and you might be a little further in the loft, my friends will see you up there. Awesome, let me pray over you. Jesus, right now, I pray for these who've made a decision for you. I ask God that you would make yourself so real to them that they would understand and experience the compassion of the Father upon their lives and that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.